There's beauty in my brokenness I've got true love instead of pain There's freedom, Lord, you've captured me I've got joy instead of mourning. There's beauty. There's beauty in my brokenness. I've got true love. I've got true love instead of pain. There's freedom. There's freedom, Lord, you captured me. I've got joy. I've got joy instead of mourning. Down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. There's beauty, there's beauty in my brokenness. I've got true love. I've got true love instead of pain. Oh, there's freedom. There's freedom, Lord, you've captured me. And I've got joy. I've got joy instead of mourning. Lord, you give me joy. Down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul, yes, you give me joy. Down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. I've never been so free, God, in your love for me. He loves me. I've never been more secure, knowing your soul that He loves me. I've never been so free, caught in your love for me. I've never been more secure, knowing your heart, Lord. Oh, I've never been so free, caught in your love for me. I've never been more secure, knowing your heart, Lord. Oh, I've never been so free, caught in your love for me.
Hallelujah. You feel them down deep in your soul? Praise God. Uh, why don't you, if you can, stand for a moment. I want to read John 1, 1 through 3, and John 1, 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Praise God. You can be seated. Welcome to Baby Dedication Sunday. Amen. Today it's not just everybody trying to sit in the back. Uh, today people are required to sit further back. So, And we have some reserved seats up front. If you wonder what's going on here, we're going to have baby dedication in the next session of our service. Looking forward to that. We have a lot of families, which is a good thing. Amen. Uh, Pastor Peter will be leading, and Pastor Roy will be speaking, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, we have a new God's Word for Life devotional uh, for this session. A uh, new series begins today. Uh, this is Lesson 1. The title of the series is The Word Made Flesh, and the focus is the Gospel of John, and uh, it's a great, great book. Uh, in preparing, it's funny, the, the broad uh, range of opinions about the Gospel of John. Some of them talk about how it's in such simple language, and then others write about how it's so deep in its doctrinal and, and uh, uh, theological uh, implications. Uh, it's funny how the Word of God can do that, right? Praise God. I love the Gospel of John. Uh, it, it reveals who Jesus is. Amen. Uh, the whole, this whole lesson is based on John 1, 1 through 14. We won't read all of those verses, but I would encourage you to read the, the first chapter of John. Uh, if you don't want to read the whole, chap, the whole book of John, at least read the first chapter and especially focus on the first 14 verses. The first 18 verses are often referred to as the prologue, uh, where the whole theme of the gospel is revealed and, and explained, described. It's all about who Jesus is. Amen. The truth we want to get a hold of is that I will know Jesus as God manifests in the flesh. Amen. This, high, this series highlights key passages in the Gospel of John as we see the Word made flesh. Uh, as we see fields are ripe for the harvest. As we see a blind man who is able to see for the first time, we see Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And we see the selfless love of God for the whole world. Amen. Symbols can, become, can convey powerful truth. Sometimes an individual's words and actions become so intertwined with a symbol that the individual represents the idea or action as much more than the original symbol. Think of a, a cross with the arms bent, all four arms bent in the same direction. What do you think of? A swastika, one of the most 
wicked and hated symbols in recent history. We think of all the terrible things associated with that and that evil individual who, I mean, if you want to make someone sound bad, you, you call him Hitler, right? <laughs> and if you want to make an organization or a group sound bad, you call them Nazis because of the association with that, that concept, that symbol. Amen. Uh, think of a, a, a circle or an, uh, an oval with a cross in the middle, but the arms are bent down. What, am I, what symbol am I talking about? A peace symbol. Um, originally, did you know that that symbol was designed, that it was supposed to be uh, uh, a protest against uh, nuclear arms? Anyway, that's the peace symbol. Uh, think of an orange gourd with a face carved into it. What is it? A jack-o'-lantern. And what does that represent? Halloween. We are, we, these, these images, these symbols, we know immediately what they stand for. Um, what about a... I don't know how to describe it, but you do this with your fingers, right? The heart. Amen. It's a... At one time, it represented a plant <laughs> in ancient Greece. Uh, at one time, it was in, in the city of Cyrene. It was the symbol that they used on their money. But now it represents love. Amen. Of course, the symbol that is most associated with Christianity is the cross. Amen. Most familiar is the cross. Uh, first recorded use of the term cross is found in Acts 11.26 where Luke noted the disciples were called Christians, the cross associated with Christians. Uh, symbols play a key role in, in identifying Christianity. Um, friends and neighbors, people who knew those people in Antioch, they saw that there was a difference in the lifestyle of these believers and they associated them with the Christ. Later on, uh, Christianity became associated with the fish. I'm not even going to try and explain that. Modern Christians frequently display the cross in their homes and churches. Traditionally, uh, Christians have sung songs about the cross. Even to the point where uh, some, I think, or it seems, have uh, lifted the symbol of the cross... Uh, to a greater importance than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the cross, there's no resurrection, but the reason for the cross is the empty tomb. Right? Amen. The best symbol, of course, of Christianity is, is a Christian whose witness is much more powerful and effective when we show Jesus in our actions, our attitude, in our spirit. That's the best symbol. We bear witness of Jesus and his coming kingdom. Just as John the Baptist did in John 1.15, it says that he bore witness, that he testified of who Jesus was. We become living symbols. That's the, the focus, living symbols of Jesus' power and authority. His light will shine through us into a dark world and his glory 
will be revealed in his children. Amen. The Bible opens with immortal words in its uh, opening in Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The Apostle John, who would have been well acquainted with this opening line from Genesis, echoed that refrain when he said in chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He then added in verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Amen. The Word of God, the writer of Hebrews, said this. Goes right along with this. If you want to get a good grasp on... On maybe you're new to the to the scripture. Uh, if you want to get a good handle on on God's plan and what the whole Bible is about, just read say the first three chapters in Genesis, then flip over and read the first two chapters in Luke, and then read the first chapter of John, and then uh, uh, go to the book of Revelation and go all the way to the end and read the last two chapters, and you have the whole plan of God in a nutshell. Praise God. Hebrews 1 uh, says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. It's talking about the Old Testament. And during that time, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. One commentator says that really what it says there, he has spoken to us in sonship. God revealed himself in sonship, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. He made the worlds. It agrees uh, directly with what John says. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image, the express image of God in Jesus Christ, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made by him, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This, this chapter, John 1, especially these first 14 verses, they're pivotal in understanding the plan of God. They're pivotal, pivotal in understanding who Jesus is, who God is, and recognizing the love of God. And this uh, passage in Hebrews uh, reflects the same thing that John is saying in his first chapter God who spoke the universe into existence at the beginning of time has shared with us his message of grace and truth through the person of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Much has been written about the concept of logos, which is that term word. It's really hard to talk about sometimes when you say the word word, it means, and then it, it sounds redundant. Uh, so logos is a Greek term that John used uh, that most English translators render as word. In his book, The Oneness of God, David K. Bernard noted, in Greek usage, logos can mean the expression or plan as it exists in the mind of the proclaimer, as a play in the mind of a playwright. It can mean the thought as uttered or otherwise physically expressed as a play that is enacted on a stage. So the, the concept is what some people refer to it, or uh, the, the, the reason of God, the, the, the mind of God, if you will. Uh, the word was made flesh. Before God created the world and everything in it, he knew we would eventually fall into sin and need a savior. 
Consequently, God had a plan to redeem us from the beginning of time. The Bible says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God already had a plan before Adam and Eve uh, failed. God had a plan to redeem us through Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Jesus lived out that plan by dying on a cross for our sins and rising from the dead, thereby securing our deliverance and our salvation. This logos was, or plan was in the mind of God from the beginning, according to John 1, 2. As John later wrote in Revelation 13, Jesus Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Praise God. He is our creator and he is the giver of life. Now, in those first couple verses in John, John made it clear that the, the Logos was not separate from God, but, but that the Word was God. So it's not a separate entity. The same God that Genesis credits with creating the heaven and the earth was that God who manifests himself in his Word. All things were made by him, it says, and without him was not anything made that was made. So if, if, you, if you look into it, you'll see that the first two verses here in John 1 talk about, they use language that's speaking about an eternal existence. Uh, something that has always existed. It, it, uh, when, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, or he said, I am the word of God, he used a word that spoke about existence. The, the, in, in the first person, it's amy. Uh, it means, and it's the same language that was used in Exodus 3 where, where God told Moses, I am that I am. So this, this God was in existence always. And in him, his word was God. That was always in existence. That's important to understand because that means that the Son did not exist until the Word became flesh. When God spoke in Genesis 1, life sprang into existence. Likewise, the New Testament portrays Jesus, the Word, as the creator and giver of life. There's no separation between uh, the Word and God. No separation between Jesus Christ and God. Verse 14 tells us that when that eternal Word became flesh, that is when we re the Son of God was manifest in the flesh. David Bernard says this in his book, Oneness of God. Perhaps these scriptural passages have a deeper meaning that can be expressed as follows. Although the Son did not exist at the time of creation, except as the Word in the mind of God, God used his foreknowledge of the Son when he created the world. God knew what he was going to do. We know he created the world by the Word of God. It says so in John 1 and Hebrews 11. He created the world with the knowledge of his plan for the incarnation and the redemption of the cross in his mind. Perhaps this same foreknowledge uh, is what he used to, uh, I'll say this again, perhaps in this same foreknowledge he used this sonship, this concept, this expression of himself to create the world. He predicated the entire creation. All of creation exists based on the future arrival of Jesus Christ. 
As John Miller explains, though he did not pick up his humanity till the fullness of time, yet he used it and acted upon it from all eternity. Praise God. God's plan for all of eternity revolves around the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. Praise God. All the way from the beginning until the last page in the book of Revelation, it revolves around who Jesus is. His creation, his plan of salvation, and his plan for the end times all rely on Jesus coming in the flesh and dying on the cross and rising from the dead. He is the word of God, and his words are God's words. Amen. Jesus said this in John 6, 63, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Praise God. There's a, there's a, there's a revelation of God himself contained in this, in this message. If, if you want to know, who, know God, you must see him in the face of Jesus Christ. His words were the word of God. He could speak miracles into existence. Jesus' words brought physical healing on many occasions, such as when he healed the nobleman's son in John 4.50. Jesus' words even brought the dead to life in John 11.43 when he stood outside a tomb and commanded his friend Lazarus to come forth. When Jesus spoke, the natural process of physical decay decay was miraculously arrested and reversed. In an instant, Lazarus came out of the grave. Amen. Now, this passage in John also talks about the light and the life. The light and the life were in him. Light is prerequisite for physical life. They go together. Not surprisingly, then God's first recorded words are, in, John, in Genesis 1-3, let there be light. When God spoke, the first recorded words in Genesis of his speaking are, let there be light. Light shone on the previously dark and formless mass of the world and set the stage for everything else God planned to do. The light. John revealed Jesus, the word, as both the life and the light in John 1-4. The same God who spoke light into existence in Genesis later said, in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. There's that uh, word of existence, of self-existence. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The light radiating from Jesus Christ shined into the darkest corners of the world, including the darkness of the human heart. As the light of the world, Jesus illuminated spiritual truths that had previously been hidden, according to Matthew 13, 35. John taught that he was the true light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. Every person has, has the light of humanity in them. Something different about uh, human beings that separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. I don't believe that we're just animals. We have the light of, of God in us. He lights every man that comes into the world. This light of self-awareness, this innate knowledge of a creator separates humans from the animal world. Romans 1 talks about this awareness in terms of God's authority and his, his uh, authority to make judgments because each human being has this 
innate understanding that they, there's some greater being. Every person must stand before God and give an account of his or response, his or her response to this light. Hmm. As born-again believers, however, our mission is the same as that of John the Baptist. We must bear witness to the light that all men through him might believe. You know, there's a saying, uh, I don't think it's in the Bible, but it nonetheless describes it well enough that there's a God-shaped hole in every person's heart. And the whole world is looking for a way to fill that hole. And we have the answer. We have the light. We know the light. Praise God. Like John, we are not that light, but have been sent to bear witness of that light. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us about the, the struggle to reveal this. It says that uh, the people of this world, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. See, the, the enemy of our soul is doing his best to blind people's minds, to, to cover that light with darkness. But our testimony about Jesus can open their eyes so they can see the light of this glorious gospel who is, who is the image of God. Before we allow Jesus into our lives, we walk in spiritual darkness. Anybody testify to that? But when we are born again, we allow his light to shine in us and shine through us. 1 John 1, 6 says this in 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Praise God. When we tell others about Jesus and what he has done, the light is poured into their hearts and minds and make it possible for spiritual life to grow in what was previously a dark, empty soul. When we speak Jesus, we speak light and we speak life. Amen. The Apostle John was privileged to witness the glory of God in ways that few others have ever seen. Matthew, Mark, and Luke record that John was one of only three disciples Peter and John's brother, James being the others, one of three disciples that was invited to ascend the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. John looked on the Lord's face, and the, his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light, according to Matthew. Luke said they saw his glory. Many years later, when John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, he saw a vision of the heavenly city. Among the details... He wrote there, he said, The city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Jesus Christ is the light and life of time and eternity. John had seen God's glory on a mountaintop. Now it illuminated an entire city. And we, too, have been invited to witness God's glory in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul wrote this, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, 
who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Praise God. This phrase, in the face of Jesus Christ, is a phrase that is, is repeated throughout the Bible. It, if you remember in the, in the tabernacle plan, the, the uh, angels that were over the, the mercy seat, they were face to face. And Moses, uh, when he went into the presence of God, the Bible says that he met him face to face. What that means is that he was experiencing his presence personally. When we experience the presence of God, and when we receive the presence of God in the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we are experiencing the light of the knowledge that Paul is talking about. That's the glory of God in the presence of Jesus Christ. We felt the presence of God here in our worship I trust that we'll feel it again in the next session. That is, the, that is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Praise God. Let's lift our hands just for a moment. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sadly, many of Jesus' contemporaries could not see his glory. Isaiah prophesied, he hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. That phrase, form nor comeliness, that means that he didn't, he didn't look like royalty. He didn't come across in, 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 a, in a spectacular fashion. He, he didn't have the trappings of his office. Many saw only a carpenter's son from Nazareth. Consequently, they rejected his ministry Eventually, the leaders of his own nation conspired with the Gentile rulers and crucified him. Even his closest followers temporarily forgot about the glory that they had witnessed and abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need. Peter repeatedly denied knowing Jesus at all. Looking back on these events, John said in John 1.11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The creator stepped into creation, but the creation did not recognize who he was. The same thing's happening today. We know him. We know who he is. He lives in us. It's our job to reveal him to the world around us. Many do not see his glory, as we have said, that because the God of this world hath blinded their minds. Jesus warned his followers that they would encounter the same rejection that he faced. Jesus was rejected by many, but there were those both then and even now who believed and received him. John says in John 1, those who receive Jesus receive power. That word there in John 1 is, that, is the word for authority. We have the authority, we have the ability to become the sons of God. But first we have to accept him for who he is. That transformative power was and is given to those who believe on his name. How do we believe on his name? We take it on in the waters of baptism. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. His name. Jesus later described this new birth experience as being born of the water, water baptism, and of the Spirit. 
the infilling of the Holy Spirit. John concluded his account of the life of Jesus by explaining that his purpose in writing was, this is why he wrote the gospel. He said in John 20, 31, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you might have life through his name. The name is so important, the name of Jesus. We take on the family name, the name of Jesus in baptism, according to Acts 2.38 and throughout the book of Acts. When we take on Christ's name in baptism, we are raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, according to Romans 6. And we are enabled to walk in the newness of life. That life comes through the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I have been with you, but I shall be in you. Amen. Romans 8 says that he that hath not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. But then it goes on to say that they that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. God has many children, and new members are being born into the family every day. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We become a part of the family. As family members, we eventually will inherit a share in Christ's glory. Prior to the birth and ministry of Jesus, Israel's faith was defined. I'm going to jump ahead and come back to that. Considering these truths. No, I'll go back to that. I was going to insert that sooner. I forgot to do it. Prior to the birth and ministry of Jesus, Israel's faith was defined by the law of Moses. The history of Israel was essentially the testimony of the nation's collective failure to live up to the demands of the law. The law of Moses... Some people, I ran into this just the other day in a conversation. The law of Moses is the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And it defines certain things. But the law was given in, in, in uh, Exodus. So all of the, the passage, passages in Genesis before that are actually before the law was given. So many things that are instituted in the book of Genesis are before the law. And those principles and those things that are instituted there supersede the law. That's why Jesus Christ is the uh, uh, priest uh, after Melchizedek, because his priesthood was before and supersedes the priesthood of the law. So when we talk about the law of Moses, we're talking about a specific uh, set of uh, guidelines, rules, if you will, that was given to the nation of Israel. And as a result, they were required to live up to that law. The problem is that nobody can live up to that perfect law. I have to find my place again. Even those who stringently adhered to the law's commands frequently missed the point of why it was given in the first place. Why the law was given. Uh, the, the, now, we can be critical of, of Israel. You know, oh, they never lived up to the law. They never fulfilled the law. Well, neither have, has anyone else. So, <laughs> Jesus, the word made flesh, came to fulfill the words of the law that had pointed to him all along. The whole reason, the Bible says, Paul says that the law was a, a, a tutor, was a tutor, was an instructor to show us our need for Jesus. The law brought recognition of humanity's sinfulness 
and God's holiness. But Jesus Christ, the Bible says in, in John 1, he came, he brought grace and truth. The Apostolic Study Bible and other resources note that the Greek word that John used for dwell in verse 14, that he dwelt among us, can be re- rendered as tabernacled, uh, conveying an image of the tabernacle in the wilderness where God met with humanity. You're all familiar, I think, with the tabernacle where, where God gave directions to Moses to have this created, and it was there that the sacrifices were offered. It was there that the the presence of God was manifest. Now, of course, God was still God. He was still filling the universe with his presence. And sometimes, even in the history of Israel, we see where they they focus so much on the, the place even to the point in the time of Samuel where they took the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant into battle thinking that somehow because they had that Ark that God was there. Well, of course, God was everywhere, but the Ark was not the, did not contain God any more than the tabernacle contained God. It was a place that God gave to humanity to, to focus uh, their attention on his presence, and he promised to meet us there. The same thing in the temple. But the difference is that that was all just to prepare humanity and to to depict for humanity what he was going to do in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the living tabernacle of the living God. We have been accused at times of being Jesus-only people, that, that God was only present in Jesus. Well, we know that the presence of God has, that God is uh, omniscient, omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time, but he chose to meet with us in Jesus Christ. The glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the word made flesh, came to fulfill the words of the law. The law brought recognition of humanity's sinfulness. But God came to meet with sinful humanity. The sacrifice of Jesus erased the need for the never-ending rituals that were performed in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle and in the temple. And he provided grace to humanity, even those of us who were not part of the covenants of God that he made with Israel. This, this act of God, this changing of the, the plan, if you will, the, the opening of the door for all of humanity is, is best represented uh, in the rending of the veil when Jesus uh, gave up his spirit on the cross, the veil in the, in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And Paul tells us later that this signified that the, the way into the presence of God was made available to all. Praise God, the veil was rent. Hallelujah. Considering these truths, those of us who have seen God's glory and received his grace have a responsibility to show others the same. Don't forget what a great thing it was the day that this revelation came to you when you realized who the God of the universe was and what he had done for you. We accomplished this mission by sharing the testimony of how the grace of Jesus Christ transformed our lives. (coughs) There's a time in our lives when this glorious light was revealed to us. We must show grace to others 
even when they do not deserve grace. Because surely there have been times when we have not deserved it. Paul described his gracious response to mistreatment in this way. Uh, Jesus being reviled. Uh, Paul says, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. And so doing, Paul was imitating the example of Jesus. Uh, according to 1 Peter, it says, who when he was reviled, reviled not again when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. We are never more like Jesus than when we show the grace to those who deserve it least. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we become conduits of God's grace to a lost and dying world, preparing the way for God's glory to be revealed in their lives, just as it has been revealed in ours. Praise God. Some ideas and concepts cannot be fully grasped unless we see them acted out in the real world. Evil is an abstract idea, but we know it's real when we see the horrors that human beings perpetrate on one another. We talk about, talked about how Adolf Hitler became the embodiment of evil in the modern world, but history records accounts of many evil men, tyrants whose names have become synonymous with brutality, Genocide and oppression, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Paul Pot. Thankfully, there have been many in individuals, on the other hand, who embody noble values. When you hear the words equality, justice, or civil rights, you think of Martin Luther King Jr. Leaders such as George Washington and Abraham Lincoln illustrated concepts of sacrifice, loyalty, devotion, and liberty to their countrymen. Lincoln's name became synonymous with emancipation thanks to his commitment to freeing the enslaved people of the, during the American Civil War. In more recent times, the Roman Catholic nun, Mother Teresa, becomes an, became an international symbol of charity due, her to, due to her selfless devotion. We know what equality, liberty, and freedom look like because we've seen these ideals lived out in the lives of others, even though they may be imperfect. Most of us know someone personally who has shown us love or kindness or compassion or faithfulness or other virtues in daily life. But when we look closely at all noteworthy personalities, we find them riddled with inconsistencies and flaws. Even biblical heroes such as Abraham, Moses, and David had great weaknesses and committed sin. God knew no human past or present could adequately represent his grace and truth, so he was manifest in the flesh, according to 1 Timothy 3.16. He's the only one that ever lived a perfect life. Hebrews 4.15 says that he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. When we look to Jesus, we see all the characteristics of God perfectly demonstrated in a human form. For this reason, Jesus could write, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, the only unique Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, hath declared him. When Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, Jesus said, Have I been so with you such a long time, and you don't know me, Philip? He said, Those that have seen me, have seen the Father. There's no separation. Even the best among us dem demonstrate inconsist inconsistencies and flaws. 
When we find ourselves disappointed by the failures of others, we can look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Praise God. He will lift us when we fall, strengthen us when we're weak, and give us power to become sons of God through baptism in his name and the infilling of his Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6 says this, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who hath shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The face of Jesus Christ is the presence of the Almighty God. The glory of God is associated with his presence. The presence of God is here today. Praise God. Jesus is here right now. Let's stand. Let's just take a moment. Let's lift our hands and worship the Lord for a moment. Praise God. I feel the presence of God here. The glory of God is here. Jesus Christ is here. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and and revealing the living God to us. Thank you for coming into our lives and our hearts and our minds and filling us with your spirit. Thank you for the name which is above every other name. Thank you for the cleansing blood of Calvary. We stand here, O God, in your presence, uh, wanting to walk in the light and to have fellowship with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you uh, have children, this is your opportunity to go collect them. Uh, Please remember that this front area, you'll see the signs on the pews that they are reserved uh, for the baby dedication. Uh, We've got an exciting service ahead of us. God bless you in Jesus' name.